Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Layla Latif. I'm Justine Smith. And I'm Hannah Strong. On the show this week, Ninja Thigh Burglars, The Line Between Work and Pleasure... Emma Thompson gets her groove back in Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. And for Film Club, we go on an erratic adventure to Thailand in Emmanuel. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So Justine, very excited to have you on for the first time, particularly for such a, such a sexy week. <laughs> We've got all of these films about sex workers and sexual exploration and... Um, Lots of stuff that uh, we're hoping you're going to give us some insight into. Uh, could you explain a little bit of who you are? Yes, I mean, I'm a film critic and programmer. I write for a local publication called Cult Montreal, but I'm also a freelancer and I program at Fantasia, the International Film Festival. I also, uh, relevant to the discussion, write porn. So hopefully I can provide some insights into that strange world. Uh, and Hannah, you're going in an equally strange world of the book tour starting soon. <laughs> Though that is a bit of a loose segue, isn't it? Yeah, I, I was going to I was going to commend you on it. I think that's uh, yeah. I couldn't be doing couldn't be going more the opposite way. Sophia Coppola is not really someone who uh, makes those sorts of movies. Although I would love to see it personally. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm off to uh, seek my fortune in New York and Los Angeles uh, next week. So there is information on com about uh, that if you're based on the East or West Coast and happen to be listening to this podcast, doing some screenings of her films. And then in LA, we'll do a couple of double features with um, some of the films that inspired Sophia Coppola. So if you're free, come down, see some movies, grab a copy of the book. Uh, it'll be, yeah, it'll be a nice time. Never done anything like this before. So learning as I go. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very excited. Can't wait to kind of uh, meet new people and all the venues are very, very cool. So I feel quite, quite fortunate and uh, hopefully will be a more successful trip to LA than the one that uh, poor old Bella Cherry embarks on in pleasure. <laughs> uh, but before we get started, I mean, we could do a whole hour length discussion, <laughs> at least just about kind of sex on screen and the things that annoy us and the things that we want to see more of. I think all of us probably come from a position of liking sex on screen, wanting to see more diverse people, you know, more people with disabilities, older people, uh, that sort of thing um, being 
you know, rather than just this kind of rather heteronormative superhero bodies. Um, but is there anything else that particularly annoys you about the, sa- the state of sex on screen or something that you'd like to see more of, Justine? I think in general, I would like to just see more sex on screen. I know that's like a very bit of a cliche, but we are seeing a huge deterioration while we also are seeing a rise in porn. I don't know if porn is rising. I feel like it's a constant, but I feel as though so many people, the only way they're engaging with sex in any way is through pornography, which is selling a fantasy when sex is an important part of all of our lives, even if you are not particularly interested in it, or even if you're asexual, I think that it still plays a role in our society that I feel not having artists from a variety of backgrounds kind of tackling is a disservice to not only the art, but even the way we kind of engage with each other. I think it's such a rich and underutilized subject within uh, film and art in general right now. And have there been any like recent examples that you found reassuring, obviously aside from the the films that we're talking about this week, the kind of you'd like more of that sort of film and that sort of depiction of sex? That is a very good question. I mean, I feel as though the two movies that we're discussing today are actually the first ones that I would think of. I think it's a bit of an underexplored territory. There's a new Denis Cote movie that's um, just one kind of summer that is interesting. I don't know if it's like 100% successful, uh, but at least it's doing something. I like it's such a low bar, but I'm like, <laughs> I, I really I don't think there's that many. Maybe on TV there's more, but even I don't watch enough television to really say like with concrete confidence uh, a specific example. I feel like I've heard a lot about The Staircase and um, the sex in that. I mean, maybe it's just because we're, like you say, we're so kind of starved of like, you know, interesting Mm -hmm. portrayals of uh, sex on screen that when there is one, it tends to kind of go a bit nuclear on social media. Yeah, I've heard a lot about Colin Firth rimming Tony Collette. (laughs) And I have to say, hearing that made me more interested in the show than anything else I've read about it. So I think, yeah, it's it's interesting. So I think that film was what used to be the place where you would see sex it was like oh you can't show that on tv but now it feels like tv is actually kind of more where you're getting to see that kind of thing i don't know just no that's certainly true i mean hbo the juice that was the first um intimacy coordinators came from there i think things like the sopranos and um and game of thrones i think we've got hbo to thank for a lot of the kind of revival of sex on screen and kind of safe ways that we can do it with these intimacy coordinators where nobody's horrifically traumatized Although actually, having spoken to both of these filmmakers, neither of these films used an intimacy coordinator, so it's not strictly necessary. <laughs> That's interesting. I'm sure we'll get onto this in a minute, but I, I knew about Ninja because she's spoken about it um, in I think, despite every interview. The fact that this was made at a time when that wasn't really a role. But I mean, I, I'm I, I already talking myself into the podcast. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear about this because Leah Grande. I was very curious to know if, how that was choreographed. But I'm sure we'll get onto this in a minute. Well, I think if you have a very conscientious director, it's certainly possible Mm. to have a nurturing environment where everyone's kept safe. But, you know, uh, we can't kind of necessarily trust the system to protect everyone at all times. But yes, thankfully, we are talking about films with, by all accounts, some very very careful female directors who, um, you know, made sure that nobody left this traumatized or hurt. Um, So let's get started with pleasure. (laughs) 
Swedish 19-year-old Bella Cherry arrives in Los Angeles with dreams of becoming the next big porn star, but soon learns that fame won't come easy. Pleasure follows the ups and downs of making it in the porn industry, exploring consent, camaraderies, and the prejudices facing its workers. So, Justine, this is kind of very bare bones, quite a familiar story, you know, all about Eve, showgirls, Devil Wears Prada, young woman, very ambitious, and we kind of see how much she has to sacrifice along the way in order to make it in her chosen field. Did you find this an interesting portrayal of um, that journey as well as the porn industry? I think so. And what I like about it as a film, and I like the examples like you kind of uh, alluded to all about Eve, and I think you had written in our notes, Devil Wears Prada, that I think of it foremost as a movie about work and the work environments and the nuances of working in various facets of entertainment. In this case, it's pornography, but in All About Eve, it's, of course, theater and showgirls. It's showgirling that is that the the (laughs) official tutelage of what they're things and obviously fashion and i think that the movie works very well on that level as kind of an exploration of labor though i would also argue to a certain extent it's also such a broad overview where they try to pack so much experience into one character that i think that's where you kind of have some people who push up a little bit against it saying oh it's not a realistic portrayal i don't necessarily think it's meant to be it's a single character who is supposed to represent a variety, a myriad of experiences that are rooted in some reality, but it is still fundamentally a fiction. Um, and uh, with your kind of, I don't want to say experience of a porn, but kind of insider knowledge of the industry, shall we say, did kind of her experiences ring true to you at least? I mean, that is difficult for me to say. I've never been on a porn set. I've only written about porn and I obviously deal with directors and producers primarily I have worked with a few performers, usually on the writing level, though, so it's a bit different where they'll be co-writers or I'll talk to them about something that they're interested in doing. So it's difficult for me to say how realistic it is. I do know kind of there's been this discussion around the movie about some performers who appear in it who are very unhappy about the portrayal. They feel as though it is overtly critical of porn and even anti-porn, and there's been a lot of language or that is kind of complex like i have seen some people say well uh the director is an anti-porn activist and i think she's identified as that at one point at least very early on in the publicity of the film when it was released but i also think that that kind of diminishes what the film is trying to do because i think it's not anti-porn necessarily i think it's kind of demanding better work conditions and ethical practices in making porn this isn't a universally terrible experience for bella she has very positive and like sexually broadening experiences on in this film it's just that a lot of the time she's dealing with men often and organizations and situations that are so poorly regulated that even if there's are supposedly safeguards in place they're not well executed and I think that that ties very interestingly to even how film production is made because we kind of went that through me too and the need for intimacy coordinators to begin with so I think that the movie has like all of these layers that I think are so fun and so interesting to unpack Um, and Hannah you interviewed Ninja Thibeg for the magazine I believe Um, what do you think of kind of her approach to this I think I personally think it'd be fair to kind of uh 
classify this as being anti-porn. I thought it was quite a little bit more nuanced than that. Mm, yeah, I, I, I think she's fascinating. I've actually spoken to her twice now. And um, she's very um, open about her experiences of porn and the fact that as a teenager, she was exposed to porn um, through the lens of it being a thing that the boys at her school would pass around. And that obviously you know, kind of had a massive impact on her image of uh, what men wanted and in the interview which is on the website on that well and it will be in the next issue as well which comes out next week um she talks about you know kind of how upset that made her and how angry she felt as a teenager and that is kind of what drove her to be quite a um uh, active member of the kind of anti-porn movement of the kind of early noughties I would I think it would have been early noughties mid noughties and I think there was a kind of point in time in within you know my teenage years when porn was seen as like this um you know it, it was not possible to be a feminist and to watch or enjoy or make porn and um those things were seen as completely incompatible uh and what is interesting about ninja is that she has uh, by her own admission, she did a kind of 180 on this. And as she grew up and started to kind of do more research and um, start to study film as well as gender and uh, sexuality uh, at an academic level, she realised that the way she now felt about it wasn't necessarily the way that she had felt about it as a teenager. And, you know, she kind of realised there was more to um, porn than what necessarily gets uh, gets through to the mainstream and that I think is actually like really refreshing to hear from an artist that they have really changed their mind on something and I think that so often we're told or, or not even told but just kind of we feel like we can't change our minds as people about things and about culture and about uh, media so it's been really interesting to see her kind of uh, talk about how she went on this journey about porn and then even like talking about the reception to the film because the film was at Sundance last year 2021 so it's obviously had quite a long lifespan and I know there's some kind of uh there was some hoo-ha in in the states about the distributor but um it was interesting so I asked her about the reception of the film from people within the porn industry and, and she said that there were some friends of hers and people that were in the film that were very critical when they first saw it, but have since kind of changed their mind and now um, understand why she did things the way she did or, you know, kind of why the film is um, so keen to kind of highlight the negative as well as the positive, uh, which I thought was was very interesting. And, and she kind of gave this uh, uh, very eloquent potential reasoning that um when you are kind of confronted with some of the images in the film it can be very hard to accept that you might be part of the problem uh which i think is is really interesting and i think um yeah i think she's really smart and and presenting it as like a fantasy within itself like porn um is such a kind of interesting and refreshing way i think to frame it i like that it's not a kind of constant downward spiral and we do get the moments of kind of um levity with Bella and the fact is like she she really enjoys a lot of what she does and that I thought was like refreshing to show is that you can um 
really enjoy making porn and it can be a good experience mm. and uh, it doesn't have to be all kind of like you know highway to hell about it yeah I thought one of the most powerful scenes in the film was when she's on that incredible feminist porn set doing kind of S&M stuff and it's it's not just a it's not just they kind of care about consent with her but it's actually quite a playful space and like you know there's a kind of there's a sweetness there's a sweet bond between these performers um Justine, uh, do, you know, there was so much more in this film that was kind of about like the issues of racism and the way that gender, you know, people are gendered and the way that kind of women are, are kind of classified and the way that kind of sexual acts are kind of have a hierarchy in this. Did you find that that, you know, was more interesting than just talking about porn, whether that said something about kind of the wider world? I am so fascinated by the way that this film engages with those questions. I think that it could have easily also just been an entire movie about any one of those questions, race, gender, uh, sex, because there's so much you can delve into. And I think that the movie touches on the fact that there is a lot of racism within the industry. Like I've spoken to performers in particular too, who are like, you will get blacklisted as a white female performer if you have a scene with a black male talent by certain industries. I think there's also this strange dynamic that you see at play constantly, even before race gets foregrounded as one of these kind of topics of this kind of duality as Bella, who is like an Aryan ideal in a lot of ways. She's this beautiful girl next door blonde that the people around her want to desecrate to a certain extent. They want to humiliate her, but they also are so offended that she would want to do that to herself. There's even little moments that kind of I pick up, like when they're taking the photos and they're counting her tattoos. She has 25 and he kind of, he doesn't really make a remark, but almost in the interaction, you understand there's this undercurrent of, on a practical level, oh, we might have to cover these up for certain scenes because it's not, it like there's obviously there's alt porn, there's all these different kind of distinctions. And even if tattoos are more common, for a white female body to have so many tattoos is also in some circles considered ruining your body, which has like so many white supremacist, uh, white supremacist undertones. The whole pornography industry, I would say, especially in the United States, is consistently playing with all these strange, very retrograde tropes because a lot of the audience that's engaging with it tends to have a lot of shame built in and they're kind of like putting so much onto it. They look up and they admire these women, but they also are repulsed by them and they want to see them humiliated, but they don't want to see them humiliated in ways that make them feel insufficient. It's very loaded. And a lot of it is kind of at the peripheries. Obviously the film deals with it very directly as well, but I think it's, it's incredibly well written as a movie that is not like just saying, like making these like grand statements like this is the porn industry is racist because of xyz it's kind of showing how things unfold and we kind of put things together um i i do like the one thing i do wish there was a little bit more of but again there's like i don't want to like impose too much on the movie it is still like a very heteronormative type of film but again i think that it kind of demands that based on what bella is kind of trying to pursue as trying to become a huge porn star you can't really do too much alt porn to kind of get to where she needs to be. 
Yeah, it's very interesting because I think as a society, kind of politically with ideas, there's this idea that sexuality is something entirely like separate from ourselves, that kind of people are just attracted to what they're attracted to, and there's kind of no judgment can be placed on that. So I think it's actually really quite an interesting idea to be like, well, no, some of this is just flat out racist. <laughs> like Some of this is actually, you've absorbed some very bad ideas elsewhere and you are kind of transposing that onto your sexual desire and this is like how it's manifesting. Um, famously in this film, we've got, aside from, I believe, the lead actress, everybody's played by a real porn star. Um, Hannah, did you kind of think of any of them as standing out as being perhaps people that should break through from the porn industry and uh, make a go in the art house scene? Um, yeah, I think uh, the the rest of the cast are amazing. Like, I don't think, unless you knew, you would really know that a lot of them are kind of... Um, I don't want to say non-professional because they are professional, but you know, what I mean, they're not. You're not. They're not film actors, and I think there's this uh, not unfair um, stereotype of porn has been often quite badly acted because that's not really what people are there for, or traditionally, that's not what people have been there for. I know there's been a lot of like actually very good porn kind of coming up now with like production values and you know storytelling, and uh, you know, you, you love to see it because I think um, isolating. The sexual acts as uh, is a, is a, another way to kind of other them and can I think lead to just as I think Ninja highlights in the film is just you know seeing women and men as like sexual objects. So that's my little diatribe about the, the kind of um, changing face of, of porn. But yeah, I thought that um, Zelda Morrison, who plays um, Joy, was great. She's the kind of uh, best friend figure to Bella and. My kind of like um, MVP is uh, a, a guy called Small Hands, who I think just has the same name in the film. And he plays one of her co stars who's like, I think, telling her, he's basically explaining like how to play this like video game on his little like, on his mobile. And I just thought it was, it was a really charming, very kind of mundane aside whilst they're like setting up this porn set around him. And he's just saying to, to Bella, like, yeah, so you have to, like, get all these gems and things, and she's very politely been like, uh-huh, okay, <laughs> you know, kind of humouring him, but, uh, but yeah, I thought, I thought that um, it was a really kind of impressive cast, and everyone seemed to really kind of, like, throw themselves into it, which was uh, lovely to see. It felt, even though we know there's been a kind of, um, a little bit of, I think, um, ill feeling between some of the cast afterwards maybe um there's no sense of that like watching the film it feels like everyone is very kind of like on board and very committed to the vision that they're creating yeah i feel like if there was going to be a microcosm of this film it would be bella sitting on the sofa watching him play his dweeby game and then two seconds later he's getting like an assistant to spit into his hand for lube <laughs> like, it really is yeah a very multifaceted uh depiction um but let's get some scores on this uh justine would you like to go first uh so anticipation anticipation i would say 4.5 i'm going with points even if it might be illegal 4.5 the other one sorry you have to remind me enjoyment how much did you enjoy sitting and taking in pleasure i would say a four a very Mm -hmm. a very solid four enjoyment is always tenuous i i really i've seen it i think three times now so to say i didn't enjoy it would be wrong and the third (laughs) one is 
in retrospect, looking in, back upon it, what do you think now with the kind of bit of hindsight? I would say I would say a, a solid four. I think it's a movie that has so much to give. Again, I've seen it three times. I find I get engaged every single time I rewatched it. And what I find so exciting about it is that there is so much about it that's so fun to dig into. And even if the industry begins to change, which it will, it probably it's already changed since this movie came out, OnlyFans, all of these things. I still think it asks and engages with such pertinent questions about art, culture and work. And Hannah, what about you? Uh, yeah, I actually am the same uh, falls across the board. I remember watching it at Sundance and I was very excited for it anyway, but then I was, yeah, really uh, impressed by it. And it's so great that it is actually kind of uh, being shown in cinemas, although very limited <laughs> screenings. Um, but yeah, I think it's a really, not only like entertaining film, I think it's a very valuable kind of piece of uh, filmmaking for not only us on the kind of like uh what would you call it like the 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 other side of filmmaking but also for adult film and i think hopefully it kind of um forces some people or encourages some people to think about their role in this massive multi-million dollar machine and i would hope it maybe empowers a few more kind of women to either experiment with porn or to if they're already involved in it to kind of like think about you know what they want out of of that out of that experience or out of the porn they're watching yeah better better porn for everyone um, would be the 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 (laughs) thing i really want (laughs) yeah it's sadly to look out for you know filmmakers like aiden star who is doing kind of cool feminist exciting work that isn't kind of you know bland softcore you can be you know absolutely filthy and still <laughs> um you know enjoy some stuff which isn't um isn't exploiting anyone uh yeah for me probably three in anticipation because i just uh, coming into sundance i assumed that this was just going to be a cautionary tale um yeah maybe a five in enjoyment i've shown this to a lot of people and i think it's really fun and funny um and clever and yeah in retrospect four i'm very excited to see what she does with her witches of eastwick remake which i believe is what she's currently working on so if you enjoyed pleasure email truth and movies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at lw lies as a person with a very deep voice i'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns but a deep voice doesn't sell b2b and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell b2b either that's why if you're a b2b marketer you should use linkedin ads LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Next up, before we start our review of Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, we first have an interview. Earlier this week, I caught up with director Sophie Hyde to talk about the film. So I guess I'll start with what do you think the state of depictions of sex and sex work in cinema currently is? <laughs> I've always been really drawn to movies that have great sex scenes in them because I sort of, I, I always felt that there weren't many, you know. Um, um, I don't know about here, but certainly in Australia I always felt we kind of avoided sex on screen quite a lot. Um, and for me... Whenever something kind of uses sex in a, in a story where the story continues through the sex scene, I'm always excited by that. Like, oh, that's right, because life doesn't feel like it kind of stops when you start having sex and comes back at the mm-hmm. end, do you know? But we've, we've kind of created a, kind of way, a way that that works on screen, and certainly part of that is that we've, we, we use sex on screen to look a certain way. It's mm-hmm. about, like, how does this look rather than, like, how does it feel? And... So for me, coming into making things, I'm always interested in how does something feel and trying to express to an audience that feeling rather than kind of the visual appeal of it. Mm-hmm. Even though you're the filmmaker, so you're playing with the visual appeal. Yeah. You know, of course, of all the time, the visual pleasure is part of it. But how do you make someone feel like they're feeling with you? And there are a few great films that do that. In terms of sex work, you know, it's been just a really limited representation of sex work yeah. on screen I think and um, and whenever you have something where it's really there's not enough stories um, mm-hmm. then you have a feeling that every story that is told has to kind of do everything for everybody and in fact we just need more stories that explore these kinds of things and um, there's room for you know 10 billion stories about doctors you know maybe there's room for a few more stories about sex workers you know um, but basically there's kind of the you know the romance you know pretty woman like Mm -hmm. let's save somebody from this and fall in love and whatever and then there's the kind of trauma experience which is for sure there for some people you know but um, there are so many other sex workers so many other people working in that industry that are there for all different reasons and I was really happy to be telling a story that was so specific and, and explored a different part of sex work and when the kind of idea was like forming in your mind, do you always want to have the dynamic being the sex worker being the man and with a female client and, you know, an older female client, I suppose. Those are two things we don't see so much, kind mm. of older women's sexuality and mm. sex workers who are not being trafficked or exploited. Exactly, yeah. I mean, and that trafficking thing, the conflation of those ideas, it's like it's literally slavery it's just not sex work. Mm. You know, the idea that we love to put them together is, is problematic for me. Um, I, so Katie, the, so the script existed or a version of the script before I came on, so it was always going to be Emma in that role and it was always going to be an older woman and a younger man. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I guess I found that intriguing. I certainly wanted to, you know, I, I thought Emma would be great in a role where you're exploring connection and sexuality. Um, I didn't really think much about the age, but um, she just seemed like a great person. And She's been saying the last few days, you know, she doesn't get offered sex scenes. She doesn't get offered these kind of roles, which I find amazing. So I'm like, she's such a sensual, interesting, smart woman. Mm. Like, But also because... So many people have sex, right? It's not just people who look a bit sexual or who are, like, yeah. on the hunt or something. Like, sex is so many different things. It's, like, a way of connecting and relief and pleasure and fun and awkward and weird, and, you know, all of the things. The idea that we mostly want to see certain people having sex seems to reveal a lot about why we want to watch it. Mm. Yeah, I remember watching her once do a BAFTA speech where she talked about her career arc had gone from being a sexy nurse to um, being a kind of crone with, like, warts on her nose. Oh so it is, it is something that is certainly an issue that we don't sexualise kind of actresses past a certain point, um, mm. which means that even that act of you having her naked on screen feels like, is it fair to say, kind of political? Mm. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Um yeah, the the idea that she would put her body on screen like that um, seems like such a big, huge moment to everybody. And yet, you know, she's an actor. She puts her body on the line all the time. All mm. of them do. Um, yeah, we've talked a bit about this this thing where Emma is called brave and, and she's a very brave woman because all actors are brave. I mean, they're vulnerable. They, they put themselves right, you know to tell the stories, they're the ones who are kind of wearing that, you know, and, and using their own bodies and their minds and their hearts, you know, to tell the story. But the idea that she's brave for showing her body on screen implies that for showing her flawed body on screen. It implies okay. flaw in that. Whereas, you know, and, and, and it wouldn't be brave for somebody who has a kind of body idea, a sort of idealised body. And yet everybody has these deep insecurities and the shame that we've kind of had, that we've been soaked in, you know. Um, and it shouldn't be brave. It, it's really about the character is, is finally looking at her own body as a, as a vessel and as a home and as something to, that does all these things for her rather than something to look at. And so, mm. in fact, she's looking at it. But it's with a very different gaze. It's a gaze of like this, my body isn't there to look a certain way for someone else. But for people, those of us raised as women, I mean, we're told that that is what our bodies are for. And in fact, if we don't look a certain way, that's kind of offensive, yeah. you know. And yet, even the most kind of conventionally beautiful people still feel that they're not enough, you know, still feel that their bodies are something to be ashamed of. I suppose that's why Leo feels so like highly evolved. So that he's kind of like almost like he's taken like the pill in the Matrix, and he's managed to kind of shed all of those mm. ideas of like what exactly a body has to be like, what exactly somebody has to be to be sexually attractive. I suppose. Mm. Yes, I love Leo, and um, I think Leo reminds me of men I know, Daryl included, actually, who are, are people that um, have decided to do a bunch of work on themselves, so mm. that they aren't. So that they're aware of their own baggage, do you know? It's like he feels like someone who's thought a lot about this and had to in his life and and um, has chosen to kind of come out the other side. And you do meet them, you know. 
we have friends that are like this that have that come into a room and try and put aside their own crap and meet somebody and it's amazing and I think I think Leo's just really good at what he does he mm-hmm. has a real skill and it comes out of a kind of past of, of deep shame you know that was put on him from his family but somehow he's like he's kind of gone towards that idea of pleasure and the importance of it and he's found something that he's very good at and he's become even better at it and I love watching someone who's so good at something yeah. I mean Leo as we kind of find out in the film is not kind of without the difficult things that he's kind of uh dealing with but was it important to you that it really was very different from a pretty woman narrative where he doesn't need to be rescued from sex work definitely because I didn't want it to be like um some idea of you know necessarily glamorized you know the other part of sex work is this idea of the high class escort that people love to use that Mm -hmm. terminology and I'm like well that's intense wording by the way (laughs) like to say that as though what you know high class as opposed to low class I mean it's a really terrible turn of phrase um it's important to me there was an authenticity to Leo we talked to lots of sex workers and and all the different varied experiences they had of coming into the work and and Mm -hmm. and the decision to stay um or leave or whatever at times um and recognizing that it's not like you may get in there because you need the money. I mean, mm-hmm. that's why we go and do most jobs, you yeah. know. Um, or you may have got in out of a kind of, yeah, a need, and sometimes at too young an age, you know. But there's a so many of the sex workers we were working with felt so autonomous. They felt like their decision about it was really chosen and that they were, they were um, you know, strongly... Um, functioning in a world where they, they they had a very unique skill. And I I guess that's, that was it. It was like we didn't want to say that he was just a happy guy who'd never anything gone wrong for and he was in this sex work. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to say the journey into that, um, he's discovered something that he's very good at. It's very vocational and that he's continued to do. Um, but, yeah, we didn't want to necessarily look at the big dark side and certainly didn't want him to be saved. That was not where we wanted to go yeah and then I suppose the other kind of thing to avoid is like you don't want to end up with this cliche of, of like oh all this woman needed was to get laid totally. <laughs> and that kind of solves all of her problems obviously it's much more complicated than that in this totally and particularly like um I mean that that is partly there with the orgasm stuff you mm-hmm. know it was really important to us that we didn't make um him give her an orgasm mm-hmm. you know it's the thing that she couldn't uh, achieve previously um and also it was really important to us that it wasn't a romantic story it was a story about two people meeting having an impact on each other and it's not a happily ever after because it's such a betrayal of us all that we just present the idea of happily ever after being the only um worthy story the only worthy relationship you know and just how important fleeting things can be and then in the original script there wasn't a fourth meeting and um I remember saying to Katie that I really needed to see the impact of what's happened to Nancy on the rest of the world. Like, so it wasn't just like I I come in as this very abrasive woman, you know, and I soften towards you, one single person, because Mm -hmm. of our experience. It's like how does that experience translate out into the rest of her interaction? And that's why Becky, the waitress, is is there, Um, you know, to say – 
the experience that they're having is shifting outside of this room. It's not about their relationship together. And more importantly, is the kind of the end with the with her body and her looking at her own body and the feeling of that now that's what she lives with and that's what she carries on and what she has. And in many ways the film is less about these two people and more about her discovery of, of feeling some kind of contentment in her own self. Mm. Uh, you spoke a little bit about the orgasm um, and, you know, being incapable of orgasm is something that does happen to people for various reasons. But, mm. like, for you, what did it symbolise in this film? I think Katie originally put it in. She didn't have the orgasm at the end um, originally. And uh, she put it in as a kind of, you know, for some people this has been the experience and it's, it's more common than, you know, I would have thought. And so that was an interesting thing for her to explore. Why do, why do we put it in at the end? Not because I feel like it's like everybody has to achieve this thing, you know. I think that feels really negative in a way. And it's like the idea of orgasm sort of isn't the end goal. Like, But what I love about it for Nancy is that after this whole experience and this being opened up to something and um, feeling a whole lot of things through this sort of sexual encounter, it almost comes as a surprise to her that that this it's it's not a goal that's like a build up to the peak of the mountain. Mm-hmm. It's just a part of what is available to you as a human and with your body. You know, part of a kind of um, I think she realizes in that moment, like, oh, I can I. I have access to this pleasure. I have access to this pleasure in myself. And how brilliant and amazing, rather than a kind of end goal. Yeah, and it starts out as an end goal. Yeah. And it ends up as something that she can carry forward and enjoy. Yeah. Nancy Stokes is a widow seeking excitement after a boring marriage and an unfulfilling sex life. She arranges four meetings at a hotel with sex worker Leo Grand in hopes of indulging in some unexplored pleasures. So, Hannah, part of me feels that this might be the sort of film that would have feel-good film of the year written across the poster, which is, you know, something I'm completely allergic to, but I really, really enjoyed it. For you, was it kind of edgy enough to balance out the kind of twee happiness of it all? Yeah, uh, it's funny that, that we obviously got pleasure last Sundance and then this one uh, at, at Sundance 2022. <laughs> it's like they've got to have one every year now <laughs> about um, kind of sex work, which I think is, is great and, and very valuable. And I was a bit sceptical just because I think that Emma has made some choices with a capital C in the last few years, uh, thinking of the Children Act, which is just appalling bit of filmmaking. Um, but yeah, I went in with kind of an open mind. I thought that it sounded interesting, um, sounded kind of like territory we, I don't think we get to really see in terms of um, filmmaking, particularly, I think, British filmmaking. Um, so I was, yeah, interested. And then I had really enjoyed Animals, which was Sophie Hyde's debut, also at Sundance, I think 2019 that was, maybe 2020. Um but yeah, like you know, going in with a kind of not much to go on, and was pleasantly surprised. I uh, really ended up enjoying this one. I think that it's 
Emma Thompson's kind of best work in a long, long time. And I think that Daryl McCormack, who I didn't know because I don't watch Peaky Blinders and I'm led to believe that's his, like, that's where he's known from. Um, I thought he was a real kind of uh, revelation in what I don't think is a particularly easy role because the character is very taciturn and has like a, a, a persona that they put on. So, you know, he's not only playing this character, he's playing a character playing a character. So um, I thought he did incredibly well with what I imagine was um, a difficult, you know, kind of character to get under the skin of. And I thought they had such a wonderful kind of rapport between them. It felt so easy and um, very enjoyable to kind of watch these quite like long conversations they're having often it's it I thought it could work very well as a theatre piece which is not something I always say uh, say as a kind of compliment but I do mean it in this instance I think it's um a very funny very touching film that also kind of deals with um something that I think a lot of people still are very reticent to talk about which is sex after <laughs> the age of about 40 <laughs> um, something we don't tend to get to see a lot of in pop culture and I just found it kind of a breath of fresh air I do have some reservations which we'll get onto in a minute but um yeah for the for the first reactions I was very um very kind of impressed by this and Justine, um, this is obviously a much uh, more, I would say, jolly <laughs> depiction of, <laughs> of, of sex work than what we saw in Pleasure. Um, did it work for you? Did you enjoy Daryl McCormack and, you know, the character of Leo Graham that he creates? I think that would, it would almost be the highlight for me, if only because I think if it was done poorly, the movie would just completely collapse. I think that it's a very difficult role for a lot of the reasons that Hannah touched on, where it's a character playing a character. And the kind of tricky thing, I believe, in kind of approaching that kind of role as an actor in a film like this is to not come across as duplicitous and not to come across as too victimized and not to come across as someone who is untrustworthy. And I think the cleverness that's at play here is that he doesn't come across as any of those things. We understand very clearly his boundaries. We understand very clearly his motives. And we understand very clearly that even though this is work, it is something that he enjoys and that is something that he takes pleasure in as well that I think is such a a tricky but beautifully realized balance. Like, I'm not particularly familiar with him either. I believe I've only seen him in the movie A Good Woman is Hard to Find, which I think he was a much smaller role than here. It's a fairly substantial. He's on screen so much. Uh, and he, he stood out there, but seeing him kind of at work, I'm like, he does kind of hold his own against Emma Thompson, who is a force to be reckoned with. And they have such different energy levels, which I find so interesting as well. They're not necessarily on the same wavelength. And that's why it works too, because they have such different pacing, such different patterns and such different levels of anxiety that I think it's it's a very great masterclass on performances and on writing characters that that's what stands out to me the most yeah I very much enjoyed it the first time I watched it um, but that was I think like three in the morning at Sundance and it was only kind of second time round coming to it that I appreciated I think a little bit of the kind of nuances in his performance um, the first first go suddenly I was impressed by Emma Thompson because as Hannah said she's she sort of needed a win for a while <laughs> <laughs> 
but I'm wondering, like, this film is so sex positive. This is so, you know, he loves his work. He's sexually attracted to every single one of his clients, which is, you know, a wonderful idea that there could be a sex worker with their approach to this job. But do you think that positivity becomes a bit unrelenting? Um, I, I, I think that my kind of big issue with it is that it, I, it feels like this character, Nancy Stokes, who's a retired uh, headmistress and a very kind of, you know, well-to-do... Sorry, sorry a retired teacher. Um, you know, I, I get the impression that this is not a woman who would, um, so, like, kind of believe that sex work is work. Um, and she does kind of go on this journey throughout the film. And, you know, by the end of it, I think she, she kind of becomes a lot more understanding. Um, but... I think it it presents sex work as this um, empowering kind of, you know, kind of uh, handsome man doing okay, you know, making a kind of quite, what, what we assume to be quite a good living out of um, what he does um, in a way that I thought was maybe packaging up sex work as something um, to the kind of, you know, the, the middle class that... Um, maybe doesn't get into what the reality of it is for a lot of people. And that's not to say that, like, you know, um, there aren't people who choose to do sex work because they have a choice and because they want to do it. But I just, I don't know, it it made me feel a little bit like it maybe wasn't kind of being honest about the, you know, what the reality of this work is for a lot of people and and the toll it must take on 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 sex workers to um you know kind of deal with a lot of their clients I mean, obviously we're only seeing one interaction out of his um his day but yeah i did think poor leo is i think the more interesting character and maybe i didn't get as much of a kind of um introspection into him than uh, as i would have liked but then again I guess, you know, you you kind of have to take uh, that as a given (laughs) that, um, you know, you're going to have one character who is kind of more, I think, fleshed out. And in this case, it was um, Nancy. And, and, you know, that I think is is a really interesting perspective. But I almost was kind of left, you know, wanting more and kind of wanting it to feel a little bit more even, I guess. And I think as well, like, the, the, they kind of touch on this in the film because there's like, this, this idea that she is um, kind of uh, almost infantilizing him and kind of wanting to like you know um, know about him and know about his life and th- that's where they kind of really get into like his um, uh, boundaries about like what he's willing to kind of disclose and things, which I thought that was like incredibly interesting to me. Uh, so maybe I'm as bad as Nancy being like, oh yeah, but but I want to know more about Leo and his story. But um, but yeah, I, I just think it it felt very weighted on the side of the kind of client rather than on the side of the sex worker. Oh, I just there found there was something so kind of moving and incredibly sad at the idea of getting 
to your 60s and never having like a moment of fulfillment but just kind of knowing that kind of sex was just out of your reach the entire time but it was it was never going to be for you mm. and those moments where Emma Thompson is sort of you know letting herself go slightly collapsing into Leo were, you know as much as it's a film about sex work I found it very very romantic at times and like really quite sweet uh, what about you, Justine, in terms of its um, portrayal of, I suppose, an older woman's sexuality and her journey into it? Um, like, what did you make of that side of things? I think that a lot of it is sold uh, by Emma Thompson's performance, because uh, I have actually some of the similar objections that Hannah does. And I kind of refer to uh, to a friend of mine who does or used to do sex work and her kind of interpretation is like sex work is still work and nobody chooses to work so let's not also (laughs) like glamorize it too much because like it's as glamorous as being a plumber or whatever it's like you it's not like your vocation for the most part uh but anyway kind of moving on to my other issue i think that as much as i like so much of the writing in terms of their interactions i felt that there was a little bit of a disservice done to nancy as a character in how they integrated the outside parts of her life because i think If you were to read it on paper, a lot of the elements of her being quite obviously repressed, but the way she deals with her own students, kind of having these assemblies, like it's very, not only on the nose, it is not only, it's very, very on the nose about her being like, don't, you can't have your skirts too short. I went to Catholic school too, and we did actually have assemblies like that at least once a year. So like, that's true to form, but it just felt a little bit too much. And I think that the film didn't quite balance that element very well because they're trying to show, oh, but she's transformed as she discovers her own sexuality and all of these things. But it also kind of undercuts the damage those kind of people in positions of power can have long term. I think that they ha- you have that kind of sequence towards the end where with the uh, waitress, which was a former student who kind of, ha- there's this kind of, tension there that definitely exists in this like very clear resentment as well but at the same time it feels very whitewashed very like let's not go too deep into this because it is still fundamentally a feel-good film and I do think it's incredible and very powerful to see an older woman who is finding pleasure and not only finding pleasure but kind of seeking it out I find that so exciting but I just feel as though there's a lot of elements are kind of lost in that packaging probably because they're trying to create something that's a bit too like kind of what you're saying about too sex positive because you don't want to have characters who are too problematic or too difficult to relate to because then you might lose a bit on that messaging well in defense of the film i would say i understand that essentially nancy has I suppose spent a lot of her life as kind of an agent of the patriarchy and like perhaps needs that, you know, in some degree these that commuffments. We do her, see her kind of apologize. But I just felt that nobody was a greater victim of that than she was. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of she's sure she is passing on her shame, but she has kind of suffered so much because of it that I still really was rooting for her to have this sexual saint come into her life and teach her the ways of the flesh (laughs) Um, but we should get some scores on this Uh, Hannah do you want to go first in anticipation enjoyment and in retrospect Uh, yeah uh, so I think it was probably about a three in anticipation uh, kind of an unknown 
uh, quality at Sundance, or onion quantity, I should say. Um, and then a f- I would say a four in enjoyment. I think it is a very enjoyable film, and it kind of passes by uh, very easily, which is not easy for a kind of talky film. And it is, you know, there are a lot of kind of long conversations in the film, but uh, I actually found them very enjoyable. And I like that it's kind of split up into these separate meetings which kind of feel a bit like chapters um so yeah four in enjoyment and then i think it's three in retrospect uh i would like to revisit it i think um it's definitely a film that i've kind of thought about a lot since i saw it and um i it it did feel kind of like a refreshing story to see at the cinema Uh, but yeah i just have a few kind of a, a few niggles i think with it would be the word Justine, what about you? I would say my anticipation was a two. I was actually not very much looking forward to this movie. Um, <laughs> I think it looked very, a bit too sun sunlit, which ended up being something I liked about it, that, that it's kind of like all kind of unfolding in the, not sunshine, <laughs> there's no sunshine, but the daylight. Uh, my enjoyment was a solid 3.5. I, I, I think it is a very enjoyable movie. And I would say retrospect, closer to a three, uh, I would also like to rewatch it, though, maybe with some more time passing, having just seen it. Uh, I think it definitely has a lot of ideas, and I think that it is a very interesting screenplay, too. Well, I recommend a rewatch because it certainly aged like a fine wine for me. Um, so, yeah, I would say three or four in retrospect. Um, I'm, oh God, You know, that kind of Sundance dramedy always like makes me feel a little bit nervous, no matter how great the cast is. And then, yeah, fours both in enjoyment and in retrospect. I think it was very clever. I think it's kind of a lot more subversive than I expected it to be. There's a lot of things that I saw on screen that I kind of didn't realize that I was missing. And I don't want to just sound like a perv and be like, yeah, full frontal nudity, hurrah. But, you know, certainly that, you know, that we don't kind of see, you know, even Emma Thompson, it's not like it's so outside of like the heteronormative ideal of what a body's going to be like. She's a very conventionally good looking woman. But even that felt like kind of a bit of a shocking thing. And I really love the way it kind of centered her desire in it. And yeah, star making term from Daryl McCormack, in my opinion. So, yeah, 4-4. Next up, Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a 1974 French film and the first installment in a series of softcore pornography films based on the novel of the same name. The film sees our young heroine take a trip to see her diplomat husband in Bangkok where she has a sexual awakening. So, Justine, um, is this the first time that you came to Emmanuel for the podcast or is it something that you knew about before? I am unfortunately very familiar with Emmanuel. The second time I watch it, I've read the book. I read wow. the book. I used to own it, but I gave it to a, as to someone as a gift. And I've seen other Emmanuel films. Uh, not that many because there's a ton of them. I think two others. They kind of all bleed into each other. Uh, the other ones, this one kind of stands out, not necessarily in a great way. Um, yeah, and I obviously I, I've, I watched a lot of softcore porn from the 70s and hardcore porn. So I've I, this one is like legendary. Not I don't I don't necessarily think it deserves that status, but we can kind of d- dive into that. 
Yeah, I guess the question is with a film like this is where do we draw the line between porn or not porn? I remember in those um, famous obscenity trials, they kind of define porn as something that you know it when you see it. (laughs) And I was kind of watching this being like, well, this is, it's very tame for porn, but there's also not much outside of (laughs) sex happening. Uh, Hannah, would you classify this as porn or not? Um... I mean, not by modern standards, but you could see why this would be kind of a very novel thing to pop along in uh, 1974. Um, I mean, I didn't actually, I, 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 I had heard about it, but I'd never seen it before. Um, I sat down to watch it for the podcast. <laughs> God, I, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's an interesting relic, shall we say, but it, I, I wouldn't say it, it's like a, a good film. It's, uh, it is just a, a sort of a series of loosely connected sexual encounters <laughs> um, between uh, this naive young woman who we're, we're constantly being told what a fantastic lover she is. And then I, I don't think you really get that much evidence of it, really, within the film. Like she... Seems like an okay lover from from what we're watching. Um, it's mostly very gentle missionary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of. Um, kind of I did enjoy that. You know, there's a lot of women kind of gambling around um, naked, which I thought was. You know, I feel like we maybe don't see that as much anymore, um, and they seem to be having a, a lovely time. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> they, they they look kind of kind of. Um, very serene, sitting in these like egg hanging chair things, uh, you know, kind of getting off each other. I don't even know how to talk about it. Like, I, I just, it is just such a wild thing to me that we used to make these films, which were just, um, you know, which would go out in, in into cinemas that were just like, yeah, so she's in Thailand. And she's just kind of hanging out and having sex with everyone. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, I, I... A series of sexual mentors. I, yeah, yeah. So she... Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the teenager that she meets. Um, Marie-Ange. Like Mary Angel. Marie-Ange. Angel. Yeah, so she meets this sort of uh, Lolita-esque figure, a little bit older than Lolita, she, who uh, kind of takes her under her wing and uh, is basically just trying to convince her to to sort of sleep with everyone, <laughs> which I thought was... I don't. I, I kind of almost would want to know more about Marion. I'm like, where's she come from? Like, what's, you know, what's her story? Because she was just, like, straight away, like, kind of up, up for anything. And... Uh, it kind of lost me when we get into the Mario stuff. Where there's this older man named Mario who, again, is like the, the world's greatest lover and is kind of uh, instructed with like um, coaching Emmanuel in the ways of um, accepting the end of monogamy and embracing carnal desire. And uh, the extent to which he's successful, I guess, is, <laughs> is debatable. Um but yeah, because we also start the film with some people saying that she's already the greatest lover they've already known. So she's really climbing to the top of the sexual Olympics by the end of by the end of this. Um, Justine, you said that like you don't consider this to be one of the great pieces of seventies softcore porn. Like, would you? What is it that you think fails in comparison to some of the greats? 
I think, well, I think it fails on a lot of very fundamental levels. Um, it is a, a very good adaptation of the book, which also it's not very good. The book is, uh, you might not be surprised, is actually largely a conversation between Mario and Emmanuel, which is a very one-sided conversation where Mario just explains his philosophies of love. It's pretty unbearable. Uh, I think one problem this movie is like pretty irredeemably racist in my opinion. <laughs> very racist. It's very difficult to get over that and like we can say, "Oh, but it was a different era." I'm pretty sure people knew it was racist. I think it's like there's a lot of revisionism in that. Uh there's a lot of uh which is not that atypical of 70s, a lot of uh rape as pleasure, which I also don't like very much because it's like conflating two things a bit too much. And I think the elements that I like the most are exactly like Hannah's. I like this, just like these catty women sitting around talking about cheating on their husbands. I think that's delightful. I think that's wonderful. But the movie like is clearly not particularly interested in that. The most interesting kind of element of the movie is this like incredibly brief moment. Like it's barely like 10 seconds in the movie where we first see Mario, the greatest lover to ever live, uh, this older <laughs> man. And uh, Mariage kind of points him out. And he's having a conversation with this other woman. And as Emmanuel approaches, she basically is, like, telling him off. Like, you're a creep, all of these things. And he jumps in immediately to, as he's talking to Emmanuel, says, like, oh, you have a beautiful body. All these, like, really sexually loaded things. And my takeaway, I'm like, this does this movie acknowledge that he's just a creepy old man it kind of feels that way and i find that like that little snippet the most interesting part of the whole movie because it has this tension otherwise i would say overall it i don't think it's that interesting in part because of the racism and in part because uh, it's not only recent like borderline uh, pedophilia with mariage and this ambiguous age it's very creepy and i also think that it lacks actual sexual tension very much because everyone is so open that you actually don't end up having very much transgressive eroticism because everyone's just kind of down for everything uh so it kind of loses on that front and i also think as kind of hannah also pointed out emmanuel is a character it does not make sense they do clearly establish she's the sexiest most like best lover to ever live, the greatest woman, the most beautiful woman, all of these things. And then through her characterization, she's clearly none of those things, really. She's quite prudish, but she's not prudish. She's having these weird orgies on a plane. It's like, there's so much inconsistencies which bother me, and obviously people are like, oh, it's just porn, whatever, but I'm like, a lot of porn is not this inconsistent. Yeah, it does feel that every encounter she's losing her virginity. Yes. Somehow. Um... But Hannah, is there any last things that you want to say on Emmanuel before we wrap up? Like, I mean, the amazing <laughs> thing is you said that this doesn't, thing doesn't get made anymore. They're remaking it. They are. Yeah, I read that on your notes. Director of The Happening. Which yeah. that had totally passed me by that they're remaking it. I do think, like, Alea Sado, I think, is great. Like, very good casting. Um, mm. Fascinated to see how that will go and if it will be more of a kind of faithful adaptation because isn't that basically nymphomaniac like you know old man and yeah. young woman having this long <laughs> uh long kind of conversation about sex and lust and power yeah. that all kind of goes a bit south i think what might be interesting like are we are kind of running out of time but um if you actually look at the backstory of the author of the book who was also named emmanuel 
Um, I unfortunately can't remember her last name. It's a hugely controversial. She was half Thai as well. Uh, but there was a lot of doubts that she even wrote it. So some people thought it was her husband. And like for her whole life, she's kind of been plagued with this question of like, did she write Emmanuel or did her husband write Emmanuel based on her? And then they thought it would be more interesting if she was the writer. And I don't know enough to know if it's a situation where they kind of cast that doubt because they couldn't believe a woman would write this or if she didn't write it because it, especially when you've, you've seen the movie, like it's very... It's a very strange fantasy regardless, and it does feel very much centered on the way that a man would see the world, but it's also directed by a man. So it's like there's all these kind of nuances that I think there is a lot of potential. And I went and I read the article about them announcing the the remake, and they're like, inspired by? And I, I think the inspired oh, okay. by is like a very key word, uh, because that usually means they're like, we're, we're not going to stay too faithful, because I don't know if they could and maintain... It's it's just not good. Like I like no offense if you like it. It's just not good. <laughs> well, I love Audrey Duan, but um, I'm not going to have a high in anticipation score when we eventually <laughs> cover this. But thanks very much. I think that's all the time we have this week. Um, if you have any thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at lwlies. Next week, Baz Luhrmann hopes to whip us into a hip-shaking frenzy in Elvis, and Ethan Hawke shows us that very bad things can happen when you pick up the black phone. In Film Club, we'll be returning to Baz Luhrmann's earliest work, the utterly delightful Strictly Ballroom. Thanks very much for tuning in, and if you enjoyed the show, please give us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Justine Smith and Hannah Strong. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.